Hello, it's Chappie here. So I'm feeling just slightly hangry at the moment. I'm incredibly hungry um, and uh, should be getting a delivery of a pizza coming soon. My topping of preference is meatball jalapeno. So I don't know if that's uh, what everybody else would choose or if that's uh, a rather sort of eccentric choice, but I'm trying to you know, my, 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 this is what my body clock's saying at the moment. It's just a constant weight of, um, the delicious, cheesy goodness, and meatball, and the spicy tingle from the jalapenos. <sighs> I, I can almost smell it. It, it. It's massaging the nostrils as we speak. So... I'm a little bit, maybe a little bit distracted today, who knows, but um, that's what's going on in my head. So welcome along to the podcast, it's Keep Calm and Cauliflower Cheese, that's the name of the podcast. It's a sort of indulgent whimsy um, into a decadent carb-laden world where all houses are made of carbs, not just gingerbread, and um, you know, you come to the door and there's probably a unicorn-looking rather like a baked potato wrapped in bacon, something along those lines, maybe scooped out with cheese, potato, and maybe a, a slight dash of uh, hot sauce on top of the baked beans that fill the overladen potato. So, as I said, I am slightly hungry today. So, anyway, let's kick off the show. It's actually, um, it is episode uh, episode 36 of the podcast. And I thought today, instead of, um, you know, maybe doing a strip tease, because I think I am going slightly insane because of the food situation and the the uh, hanger games that are going on in my belly at the moment. Um, so... I, I do think I'm, I'm going slightly insane here, but what I'm going to do, I'm going to give you a real treat today, ladies and gentlemen, ladies and mantelpieces. I'm going to actually, um, <clears throat> instead of stripping off, because the heat is on, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm going to uh, start putting on extra clothes for you. Yeah, here we go. So, at the moment, uh, I've got the... Uh, I've got the Union Jack uh, Mankini or Budgie Smuggler. Um, I'm going to add to that a pair of tweed trousers um, and then uh, maybe a striped button down, some braces, some hiking socks, extra thick socks there, I think. Oh, you know what? I forgot to put the long johns on. All right, so I'm going to take the shirt off, the tweed trousers off, and uh, I'm going to slip on a pair of... uh, slightly yellowing long johns. Uh, I think my grandfather owned them, so I'm going to put those on. I'm slipping those on right now. Over the top of the crown jewels, laden and covered with um, our old friend, the Union Jack, uh, Speedo. Anyway, so I'm going to now put on, I think, a very slender turtleneck. And uh, why not? Uh, why not a fisherman's sweater on top of that? And uh, and, and, and I think uh, maybe some uh, some overalls, belted overalls on top of that. Um, and then uh, and then maybe a, a sheepskin coat. Um, 
uh, a bit of mask up as well, a little balaclava on there as well, so balaclava on top, um, and then uh, I would never do the beanie. No, 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 Mrs. No, no, Mrs. No, 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 yes, no, Mrs. No, I'd never do the beanie, but I would do the tweed plaque cap on top of the balaclava. So we got that on top there. Um, and uh, I, I think maybe one of the uh, cravats as well, Ascot. Maybe a, maybe a little floral uh, 1970s uh, cravat and Ascot on top of that. So we'll do that as well. And um, I don't know what we should finish. Uh, what should we finish up on? Maybe, uh, maybe some shades as well. And uh, some Wellington boots just to finish off the whole ensemble. Okay, let's get into the show. God, it's bloody hot now, I tell you. Um, so, here we go. So, on the show today, um, we're going to be talking about uh, an advertisement, uh, maybe for beach towels. Uh, there's new, a new invention where you can get a sand-free beach towel. Talking about that, we're going to be uh, introducing you to the wonders of moon milk. Moon milk. Um, also, uh, we have a Wheel of Misfortune this week. A wealthy fiancé uh, um, and his girlfriend sue a boatyard in the Wheel of Misfortune. Um, apparently, uh, French uh, uh, parents are throwing their les enfants over the, over the fence if they're late for school. Uh, we will be discussing that as well. Um, Marvellous story about a British Airways pilot sucked out of the cockpit uh, 30 years ago and a flight attendant caught him. Um, and uh, words of the year, Meghan and Harry have left, but Mexit is in uh, Mexit is in the dictionary. Repeat, Mexit is in the dictionary. Why I want Kamala's white suit. And uh, what would Nigella do? Her 19 new rules to copy. Uh, we're going to be having that. Populist leaders having no shame. Uh, a Yorkshire team of great talent on the pitch and tremendous courage off it. Uh, how chilled camels can help us keep all tall. And Shakespeare and Company reveals its author's guilty pleasures. We're actually going to have a bump edition of the podcast this week. We're going to have one, I think, tomorrow as well. And I'm actually thinking... Um, you know what, I've, I've, I've had a, a spoonful of goose grease and uh, I'm energy charged. I think I'm going to do two next week as well. I'm, 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 I'm wound up like a coiled spring here, ready to pop and spin around like a slinky going down the stairs. Um, so we have some scallywag darts and some also historical tinder as well, ladies and gentlemen. You are very, very welcome and welcome along to the podcast and settle down into your most comfortable chair. You can even put a snuggie on, maybe some slightly fluffy slippers, maybe some of those sort of misshapen ones that look like a hippopotamus or a unicorn or something along those lines. So, you know, just uh, just slip your sl- plates of meat, feet into the slippers and just, just ease back in them. Says, take a deep breath. And I'm still waiting on the pizza, so, um, uh, you know, I, 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 this is a good... A podcast is a decent distraction when one is hangry, I think, without a shadow of a doubt. So, not a particularly original headline, but is B-A-D-S. How a British Airways pilot was sucked out of the cockpit uh, 23,000 feet 30 years ago and a flight attendant caught him. 
The uh, incredible tale of how a British Airways pilot was sucked out of the cockpit mid-flight and survived has resurfaced 30 years on. Some 27 minutes into the flight from Birmingham to Malaga, as the plane was travelling over Oxfordshire, two of the six cockpit windows shattered. Captain Tim Lancaster was ripped from his seat and sucked out of the window at 23,000 feet. The force also blew the cockpit door open from its hinges, nearly knocking flight attendant Nigel Ogden to the ground. Mr. Ogden rushed into the cockpit and managed to grab the pilot's legs as he disappeared out of the window. Mr. Ogden told the Sydney Morning Herald, I whipped round and saw the front windscreen had disappeared. Tim the pilot was going out through it. He had been sucked out of a seatbelt and all I could see was his legs. I jumped over the control column and grabbed him round the waist to avoid him going out completely. His shirt had pulled off his back and his body was bent upward doubled over the, around the top of the aircraft. His legs were jammed forward, disconnecting the autopilot, and the flight door was resting on the controls, sending the plane hurtling at nearly 650 kilometers an hour through some of the most congested skies in the world. He was gradually slipping out of the window as he held onto the pilot, but thankfully a second cabin crew member, John Heward, came running into the cockpit and grabbed him by the belt. He added, I was still holding Tim, but my arms were getting weaker, and then he slipped. I thought I was going to lose him, but he ended up bent in a U-shape around the window. His face was banging against the window, with blood coming out of his nose and the side of his hand, head. His arms were flailing and, and about seemed about six foot uh, long. Most terrifyingly, his eyes were wide open. I'll never forget that sight as long as I live. While the co-pilot, Alistair Atchison, took over the controls, a second flight attendant called Simon scraped himself into the third pilot's chair and helped hold onto the chain of men. Mr. Ogden told the Sunday Times, All I can remember is looking up at Alistair Ashens and the co-pilot, struggling to get the plane under control, and shouting, Mayday, Mayday, into the radio. God knows how, but while it, it was going on, Alistair managed to get the plane under control. I let John take over in the cabin, and I ran back to look after the passengers who had, who had heard the bang. My poor colleague Sue Prince had been looking after the plane on her own. Bless her. I screamed, brace, brace. Everybody knew the seriousness of the situation. The pressure on Alistair must have been tremendous. Everybody's life was in his hands, but he brought the down the plane perfectly. The plane landed at Southampton Airport, where they were met by the emergency services. Mr. Ogden later left British Airways and went on to work for the Salvation Army, but Captain Lancaster did fly again. According to a report by the Air Incidents Branch after the incident, a fitter had used the wrong bolts to secure the windscreen. The reports of the windscreen fitting process, which happened 27 hours before the plane took off in June 1990, was characterised by a series of poor work practices and poor judgments. The whole incident was recreated for a documentary called Air Crash Investigation Blowout, aired on the National Geographic Channel. I bet you after that, um, after if I was a pilot in that situation, I would have broken into the duty-free, pulled myself a very large scotch, and probably lit up a Hamlet cigar. So you lovely chaps and chapesses must be very proud of your host because during that uh, during that uh, last uh, little story uh, about the uh, pilot being sucked out of the British Airways cabin uh, 30 years ago, uh, the pizza arrived. And I am being incredibly good and I'm not being tempted about eating the pizza before I finish the podcast. Because, I, I mean, it, like all um, great empresarios, opera singers, musicians, anybody who sings says you should not eat 
whilst or before you perform. So I'm performing at the moment, and I'm and and I can smell the pizza, and it's almost like um, it's like the. I feel like I should be the rats following the Pied Piper. That's how the smell's wafting up the stairs. And um, I feel that um, I need some of that cheesy goodness. But for you, the listener, I'm remaining... Well, I'm actually strapped into my seat. If I'm being honest, I I got a rather large strap and uh, put it round the waist. And I strapped myself into my seat. So I'm not going to be tempted uh, by the carb-loaded goodness downstairs. What a what a wonderful and, uh, and, and and slightly teased and tormented host that I am currently, but it's it's a massive amount of willpower. I think that's what you have to you have to doff your cap if you're wearing a bowler or a trilby uh, or any type of hat at the moment. Not a beanie though. I'm not allowing a beanie at this moment. You can doff your hat for being tr- a tremendous host and having immense willpower. Oh, so as the accordion starts playing, I know many of you are thinking, what happened to my dear rascalous uncle? Um, I have no news at the moment. I think he's gone missing. I think he's, uh, I think he's eloped somewhere. He's probably um, laden with brie uh, and uh, probably du pain, du vin and du boisson. I would imagine, um, but I'm around, I would think around the holidays he will raise his head again above the uh, above the uh, above the turrets, and uh, and we may hear from him. But anyway, in the meantime, this music is playing because we have maybe one of the finest stories to uh, come across the uh, the newsprint and uh, over the airwaves. French schoolchildren ask parents not to throw their kids over the fence to discourage a bizarre practice. Uh, Trillard Primary School in Avignon does not allow students to enter the premises after 8.30 in the morning, but some parents have found a way over the matter. An elementary school in France has put up a sign urging parents to stop throwing les enfants over the the fence, the French throwing over the fence. As bizarre as it sounds, it's been observed that many parents have resorted to this practice when they're running late. Trillard Primary School in Avignon, Southern France, maintains a strict schedule for the students and does not allow them to enter the premises after 8 or 30 in the morning. Once the gate closes, there is no way to get the children admitted and hence some of the parents take the risk and hurl their kids over the six feet fence of the school campus. Following repeated uh, occurrences, the school has put up a no-throwing sign outside the entrance. Dangerous! They said, dangerous! Do not throw your enfants over the fence! The sign reads, Je ne l'ose mes enfants par pour which in English translates, I do not throw my children over the gate. So what is that again? Je ne l'ose pas mes enfants par dessus Okay, so the notice also carries instructions for the parents to be back at the designated slots at 10 a.m. or 3 p.m. when when the school gates reopen again. Some parents were literally throwing their children over the fence, said uh, Sana Mezin, principal of the Trillard School, who was quoted by the local media. She added that uh, such incidents are not very frequent. They would prefer to address the situation as it's getting too risky and must be stopped before a child gets hurt with the notice that she has warned the irresponsible parents to refrain from doing so. 
the pressure of making school runs is not uncommon, and people around the world have to deal with it. Since a, since a school cannot be asked to compromise on its academic schedule, the onus of the children reaching classes on time fails on the parents and falls on the parents. But surely there can be other safer ways to deal with such issues. The value of punctuality is not meant for the kids. Grown-ups need to heed it as well. They probably just wanted to go off and uh, get their pain of chocolat and the, and the le café. They wanted to you know, push the children over the fence and, uh, and um, you know, be done with it and go and eat their uh, nice little crusty pesterilla. Um So there is a there is a rather wonderful story and book um, that's called French Children Don't Throw Food. But it does seem that parents shouldn't throw their children over the fence either. If they are plus tard, maybe they could uh, land on a fluffy cushion of pain au chocolat. Oh, once again, the smell of the pizza's wafting. Now I'm thinking of a fluffy... Adult-sized pan of chocolat. So words of the year, Meghan and Harry have left, but Megxit is still in the dictionary to stay. It's about breaking a bond with long-standing institution that's divided Britain into two camps that may never see eye to eye. Four years after the vote for Brexit came Megxit, a term for the departure of the Duke and Duchess of Sussex. From royal duties, it became so popular that a dictionary has named it one of the words of the year. Collins, which monitors word usage by studying sources such as newspapers and social media, found that Megxit was one of the most popular new entries into the lexicon. Terms that have gained unwelcome prominence include lockdown uh, and also key workers social distancing and furlough. Megxit was first recorded in 2019 when newspapers used it to refer to people leaving the Duchess's household, but it took off after January the 8th when the couple announced their intention to step back from the royal family. Compilers noted that it appeared in a headline in The Sun on January the 9th. It immediately caught on due to its echoes of Brexit. Collins said the use of Meghan's name has been taken in some quarters identifying the Duchess as the instigator of the withdrawal. Anyway, so... On to another topic, uh, the crown. So, it, it, I, I, I don't know. So, the crown is a very, very good television series. Um, I'm, I'm catching up on it at the moment. I'm halfway through the, th- the third season, and the, the fourth season has just been released. Now, I don't know if any television show has one... Uh, fumbling around on the phone, Google, trying to Google if, did this really happen? Is the Crown storyline real, or are they making it into a slight soap opera? Um, That's a debate that's going on. In my head and across the country, I believe, um, is, is, is the undoing with Hugh Grant and Nicole Kidman less of a soap opera than the Crown? Well, this, this next, um, New series of The Crown is going to be very, very interesting uh, because it's introducing two major protagonists of the uh, very late 70s into the 80s and 90s, uh, Princess Diana uh, and Margaret Thatcher. I'm very interested. I know that Emma Corrin, who plays uh, who plays uh, Diana, is getting uh, rave reviews, fantastic reviews. She's meant to be I mean, she's meant to look like her, has has Diana's mannerisms down pat, that sort of coquettishness um, and uh, vulnerability. Uh, but I don't know about Gillian Anderson as Margaret Thatcher. 
Now, her hair looks magnificent. I would love my hair to be as bouffant as that. I mean, that that is a wondrous hairstyle. I, know, I mean, Margaret Thatcher's hairstyle was wondrous anyway. But how, however they got that to stand up. I mean, it's like a, it's like a beehive. You probably have a, thousands of uh, worker bees and many queens in that barnet, I would say. Um, but it, it's an absolute delight. But I don't, apparently, um, Gillian Anderson's voice is rather too husky and low for Margaret Thatcher. I think it's an incredibly difficult role to play, and I'm very much looking to see how uh, Gillian Anderson did. But that hairpiece, I tell you, um, I think I, I, I want to get one of those for Christmas for myself. So a two-million-year-old skull belonged to our distant cousin of early humans. A two-million-year-old skull discovered in the South African cave system has been identified as the earliest known example of a distant cousin of early humans. The discovery of a skull of a small-brained human um, that was called Paranthropus robustus, a cousin species to Homo erectus, or Homo lack of erectus, uh, which is thought to be the dis direct ancestor of modern humans should help further help us the understanding of the evolutionary processes. Although the two species were around at the same time, Paranthropus robustus had larger teeth, uh, thought to have evolved to allow it to eat tough plants. Maybe it's closer to the uh, our, our American friends with the, with the big teeth. They probably weren't white back in those days, um, eating, eating vegetables and... Uh, and, a, and just a diet of, uh, of a mammoth, I suppose. Um, but it's interesting. So, so we've got Homo erectus and Proanthropus robustus, a small-brained human-like creature. Hmm, I wonder if he was slightly orange and embalmed with a very long red tie around him. Could be similar. Um, but yes, relatively large teeth and small brains represent divergent evolutionary experiments, uh, says Angeline Lee, a paleontologist in the Australian-led research team in La Trobe University in Melbourne. While we th uh, were thought the lineage had won out in the end, two million years ago, the fossil record suggests that Paranthropus robustus was much more common than Homo erectus in the landscape. Uh, Andy Harris, another member of the team, said the skull sh uh, showed the beginning of a successful lineage of Proanthus robustus that allowed them to, su to survive in South Africa for a million years. Like all other creatures on Earth, to remain successful, our ancestors adapted and evolved in accordance with the landscape and environment around them. We believe these changes took place during a time when South Africa was drying out, leading to the extinction of a number of um, contemporaries, and mammal species. It's likely that climate change uh, produced environmental stresses that drove evolution within Paranthropus robustus. I have to say, it's not a particularly attractive looking looking skull here, but but I, I honestly think it's got a slightly yellowish um, toupee on, on top there. And, uh, and it is a slightly Cheeto orange color. I do think we just have to dig deeper and find that uh, Extra long, uh, extra long tie, and uh, and we might we might know the origins of our incumbent president here at the moment. That sound you can hear in the background—it sounds like sneezing. It isn't me trying to snort up a load of tea leaves. It's actually um, Jack the uh, Rat Terrier becoming uh, rather incensed. His nostrils are becoming incensed with the smell of pizza. So he again 
is saying, what the hell are you doing, man? Is this upstairs here? And there's pizza and meatballs downstairs. And you're recording this bloody podcast. So with Thanksgiving coming next week, um, it, I think it's an apt time to uh, discover what Nigella Lawson would do with her 90 new kitchen rules to copy. Um, so she, first of all, she says, uh, put up the Christmas tree now. In our first glimpse of Nigella after a sunset, over iconic bridge as opener with Bridget Jones's soundtrack in the background, she's sitting cross-legged on a well-aged leather armchair, surrounded by tea lights with a wall of fairy lights in the visible garden behind her. Um, there's more wattage here than a winter wonderland. In emulation, you get Christmas tree up now. Normal rules do not apply because of the pandemic. Let's bring some cheery holiday Christmas spirit into your living rooms right now. Uh, number two, pickle your own. Just just been steeping half moons of red onions in vinegar for a while, then you won't be able to follow along. Luckily, I'm sure you won't apply to anybody reading this for whom home pickled onions are an essential, along with oat milk, sourdough bread. She likes to pickle her own onions, apparently. Now, I, I think I think it'd be a wonderful gift for anybody close to you to, uh, you know, create, create a jar of pickled onions, you know, it's not that difficult to make. You just need the malt vinegar and the little uh, pearl onions here. And, um, and, you know, and wrap a bow around it. Um, maybe use one of those bon maman jars, one of those old-fashioned jars, and put the pickled onions in there. I think it's a, I think it's a lovely gift for everybody. It's uh, thrifty and uh, very thoughtful. Um, also, make your own mob. I think that's a, that's, that's, a, that's a new type of hairstyle. We've had the pob, which is the uh, posh bob named after Victoria Beckham, uh, Nigella's messy long bob is called a mob. I don't know. I'm short at the size, long on top here, so I don't think I could do the mob. Never knowingly undersold. This is the good mantra for life. Although, don't put it on your T-shirt. You might get uh, sued uh, by the anti-salt brigade. Uh, Nigella delivers her into the pan with a flare and wrist flickery of a matador. Uh, downsize your le cousset. Nigella favors a mini le cousset in the shade of pastel pink. I do like the orange like who says, to be honest, the, the um, nice casserole pots. Posh up your condiments. Mm-hmm. One would always, one would always posh up the condiments. If you too would like to be a condiment queen, uh, you do need to do better than ketchup. Korean uh, gochong paste uh, that you put on some Korean fried chicken, Chinese crispy chili, Date molasses, English mustard. Oh, you must go for the Coleman's. Uh, swap fresh fish for fingers. Because fresh fish isn't breaded, which is the best bit. Then cook it for longer um, and, it, and on the packet for optimum crispness. Uh, Nigella loses, uh, uses them in aforementioned borta, a mashed vegetable dish popular in India and uh, Bangladesh. Uh, but she also does love a fish finger sandwich. So do I. Fish finger sandwich with some tartar sauce and some malt vinegar. Absolutely delicious. Uh, no more chef's knives. They cost an arm and a leg. If you can't cook something nice, don't cook anything at all. Banana bread is dead. No more of the banana bread. Some people are leaving their bananas to get a little bit too ripe. As I said in an earlier podcast. Uh, you're using tahini wrong. If you've just wrapped your head around tahini in a savoury roasted cauliflower sort of way, then keep up. Um, adopt a fearless approach to boiling water. Get a tea kettle. It's less, it's less time. 
That's the key. That's the key for boiling anything. Water for pasta. Get yourselves the bloody tea kettle. I think that is the absolute key. It saves a lot of time. Shoulders on the new cleavage. Hmm. Um, I don't know. I couldn't do one of Nigella's black tops. I think um, the there'll be a lot, rather too much moobage going on. I think there. Eating calm and appreciative silence. Um, I don't know about that as well. I. The, I have to tell the dogs to get down when there's something delicious on the table. Slurp, don't spoon. Non-stick spatulas and new hands. Don't peel your veg. Um, she chucks in unpeeled carrots, ginger, banana, shallots. I agree with that, actually. Don't You don't need to peel your carrots. And uh, ban the scales. Scales are the enemy of joy. Um, and, and to be honest, in America, everything's done by cups, uh, so it's a little bit more rustic out here. And don't use light coconut. Use the full fat heavy version, people. So once again on the uh, wondrous uh, Instagram, again, the social dilemma is hitting home. If you haven't seen the show, you should do. It's a constant feature in the podcast where I get advertisements that are specifically for me. Now, who would wear a, a cable neck cricket sweater and tuck it into their jeans? Somebody heard me talking about it or saw what I looked like and said, we're going to advertise a cricket sweater for this uh, young, eccentric, fine chap. Um, but anyway, there was an advert advertisement this week for sand-free beach towels. I mean, how can you do a sand-free beach towel? I, I just don't know. I mean, I would like a, an invention for a sand-free bottom crack, uh, so when you become one with the beach, you don't get sand in every orifice. Okay, so over the moon, why not try some moon milk? Want to create a new ritual with your kids that help them power down their screens, expand their universe with fun bedtime stories, and settle in for the night? Learn how to make moon milk, the trendy warm drink you see on Instagram. It's a tasty way for you and your kids to cuddle up and wind down. It's perfect for those cold winter nights. It's not only steeped in tradition, um, in the centuries of holistic Indian tradition, moon milk recipes are made using real ingredients, including one of the original farm-to-table foods, real dairy milk, ladies and gentlemen. Say warming, uh, warming and drinking warm milk before bed could help you fall asleep. A glass of real milk infused with your favorite flowers and flavors certainly will bring you down and the kids to a level of comfort and relaxation. It's a soothing way to end the day and helps your entire family meet the three recommended servings of milk and milk products per day. This new spin on the traditional, this is almost like a commercial I'm reading, I should be getting, it's a keep calm and cauliflower cheese provided to you by Moon Milk. Um, this new spin on the traditional nighttime ritual is easy. It begins with milk, the farm fresh variety base that's absolutely delicious and wholesome and rich in nutrients. Mmm, absolutely delicious here. Rich and wholesome. Next, mix your favorite flavors from the herbs and spices, or herbs and spices like cinnamon and nutmeg to fruit and honey. After you warm it up, garnish with edible flowers, herbs, or a drizzle of sweetener. Um, so, what have we got here? We've got the chamomile moon milk, steeped traditional tea time favorite with milk. We've got strawberry moon milk, mix a, a sweet summer fruit with a fresh zing of ginger. 
We've got cardamom, cinnamon, honeymoon milk, blend two traditional flavors of Asia, cardamom and cinnamon with honey, and you create a delightful moon milk with ancient roots. You've got cherry beet moon milk, mix a summer favorite fruit with trendy, tasty fruit vegetables, and you'll fall in love with this delicious blush colored brew. You've got lavender cacao moon milk, You've got peaches and cream moon milk. You've got dreamy date moon milk. There's nothing wrong with a time to combine real dairy milk with uh, syrup, cinnamon, and cardamom. It's the moon milk that's just meant to be. You've got s'mores moon milk. Oh my gosh, you've got marshmallows in there. Raspberry moon milk. Blue magic moon milk. And golden moon milk. And the golden milk is, uh, is the one that really will guide you towards slumber and some of the most bold delicious delightful dreams you'll ever have okay so we've got our little game of wheel of misfortune and misadventure so we have to spin the roulette wheel and see where it lands and see what tale we have this week all right let's give it another toss around here i didn't like that one so let's just give it one more spin here So we have the Wheel of Misfortune, ladies and gentlemen. Um, so this week's Wheel of Misfortune is uh, is based around a, a wealthy financier and his girlfriend who sue exclusive boatyard over wobbly rudder and the smell of rotten eggs on board their 500,000 luxury racing yacht. I wonder if somebody hit a, you know, hit a, hit a number two somewhere on the boat and... Uh, discovered weeks later. Um, David Huber and Elena Likothka um, bought the silver yacht in 2017. They're suing the company which sold them the vessel. The couple claim the rudder doesn't work properly and the tap smells of sulfur. A wealthy power couple are suing a top boatyard over a wobbly rudder and a smell of rotten eggs on their $500,000 luxury racing yacht. Elite financiers David Huber and Elena Likothka splashed out 562000 533 on a, sil uh, on a sleek silver yacht called uh, Silver 10. But their prized new acquisition turned out to be riddled with defects, including a dodgy rudder, a strong smell of sulfur, rotten eggs from the tap water of the kitchen sink, and the pair's lawyer told London's High Court the smell was contained by the yacht being contaminated with a bacterial infection being left more than the polluted estuarine water, the couple claimed. The contamination means there's a risk of uh, parts of corroding. That They also complained the boat has ill-fitted, juddering rudder, which vibrates excessively. When the boats are rocking, Captain, don't come a-knocking. Um, Mr. Huber and Miss Lithcother of Tower Bridge Road, South London, now suing the yacht. Um, they deny, uh, the Danish manufacturers deny that the yacht did, did not conform to the contract in the manner alleged. Um, so, uh, so apparently, again, the, the acquisition turned out to be riddled with defects, a dodgy rudder, a strong smell of uh, rotten eggs from the tap water in the kitchen sink. Uh, a very sort of uh, a very sort of distasteful uh, situation for all concerned, I think there, and that's our little wheel of misfortune there. You don't want a, a stinking yacht uh, smelling of uh, rotten eggs, which is absolutely disgusting. And talking about rotten eggs, I, I cannot do hard boiled eggs. I'm just putting it out there. Now a soft runny 
a, a runny delicious soft boiled egg with some soldiers in a in a perfect china uh, little uh, egg cup is absolutely delightful. But I cannot do the the, the, the hard boiled ones do smell like the rotten eggs that were on the yacht. I have to say. So one of my uh, favourite Twitterisms. Uh, Twitter sites is very British problems and they gave a lovely little countdown here of how to enjoy the rain. Uh, number one, stand at the window inside. Uh, number two, put non-tea drinking hand on the hip. Uh, number three, sip tea from the mug. Four, mutter, look at the rain. It's really coming down now. The garden needs it though. And then say, good job. We got the cushions in and the washing in as well. And finally, eat all the biscuits. Okay, so we have Skellywig, Skellywig, adults, yeah. Oh, and we got the wrong song. I told you, it's like uh, the other week, nobody guessed what the deliberate mistake was, and it was we had the wrong, uh, we had the wrong tune on. We had uh, we had the tune for uh, for uh, medieval tincture tender, and uh, we didn't, we certainly didn't want that. Uh, so, all right, here we go. This is live podcast action here. And let's just push that here. All right, here we go. Some scary wig dolls. We're in the East End here. And uh, just going up the apples and pears. And uh, we're going to have a nice uh, nice rest of the plates of meat. And we've got some scallywag darts. So we take the most heinous headline times of the week and equate it to Game of Darts. So we have uh, we have Missing the Board. We have the Triple 20 Bullseye and Chirpy Special Prize. Okay, so um, this week, I think missing the board this week, we have uh, strands of Elvis Presley's hair set to fetch $6,000 at auction um, this week. So we got the we got the king uh, the king's hair, um, $6,000. A lock of Elvis Presley's hair was once swept up and collected by his barber. Is expected to fetch around six thousand. It's actually six thousand pounds at auction. The strands belonging to a lifelong fan, Tom Unwin, was snapped at the hair in 2017. I'm selling it now because I had so much enjoyment from my showing uh, my Elvis memorabilia to friends over the years. They want other people to enjoy and uh, and have the same enjoyment of the king, uh, the king's locks. What if he had it in like a heart-shaped locket? Who knows? I mean, I would love to get. The, the, the Elvis's quiff, the quiff pompadour. I mean, I'd love to attach the king's quiff to the front of my hair. Uh, you know, you could actually, I may get a, a, a new selection in my lint barber shop, uh, my lint barber and weave shop, dye some lint and form it into uh, like a pompadour or into, or into famous people's hair. You could have a, a wig style, you know, with the quiff like Elvis. You could do a, a Trump Weasley toupee. You could have a Harry Styles uh, hairy hairpiece, um, and uh, you know you could even move things towards a more boisterous selection of uh, lint bushes. So we got our we got our triple uh, we're triple twenty here. Um, it's uh, Brent, Britain's premier beach or bench rater becomes a global hit. So this is a man who basically rates uh, rates seats here. So Sam Wilmot turned his childhood appreciation for a good bench into an Instagram account, when uh, which has grown beyond his wildest dreams. He travels the country, rating public seats out of 10. The bench lover has become a global hit for rating Britain's uh, benches out of 10. Uh, and he's sharing his unusual passion with the world 
and uh, a pal suggested you create an Instagram account, and it's called at Rate This Bench. So uh, have a have a have a dilly dally at that. Um, Sam has rated over 200 outdoor seats, racking up nearly 8,000 followers in the process. The uh, post-history graduate from uh, Yate, Bristol, said, I've always been a fan of sitting on my ass, and I've had a, a, an eye for a good bench for many a time. Um, I wonder, does he, does he rate the bench on which benches don't nip his ass cheeks? Um, I mean, I, I would be pretty Im uh, impressed with... Uh, Maybe if he if he started sort of bench pressing on the bench, you know, whilst on the beach or something along those lines. But yeah, you don't want to you don't you don't want having the bottom cheeks nipped. That that would be absolutely awful there. And uh, anyway, so we have our uh, our bullseye of the week here. Um, we've got a, a we've got a a new beer has been launched here. It's an inoffensive and not bitter Joe Biden beer is launched. The U.S. brewery has launched a new beer. Bearing the name of the uh, president-elect Biden beer uh, was uh, was uh, introduced by the uh, Minkoka uh, Brewing Company. The Biden-supporting beer boss describes the new beer as inoffensive and not too bitter. He hopes to uh, bring more progressive politics and more progressive types of beer uh, through uh, to uh, to Minnesota very very soon. Um, I wonder what would the Trump tipple be? It would probably be a uh, rhubarb crumble infused. Um, Ivanka's beer could be silicon infused. And uh, Boris's beer could have an essence of horny goat weed. Okay, so we've got our, uh, we've got our bullseye. Uh, actually, actually, it's Chappie's, Chappie's special prize. What do you do if a block of urine, a frozen urine, falls on your house from a plane? It sounds rather bizarre, but an aeroplane waste has been known to escape the aircraft, and although it's rare to ever hit your home, here's what you need to know in case it actually happens. When traveling abroad, have you wondered where things go when they're flushed down the toilet? Rumors have flown around over the years that the waste just flies out the bottom of the plane and is left to its own device, but fortunately modern aircraft are designed to hold it in the tank. Uh, then there is an offloaded post-landing, but sometimes things go wrong and the stored sewage escapes the plane. Uh, this is also known as blue ice. And in Gainer in the garden in 2006, when a, um, it's an 18-inch wide block of frozen urine uh, crashed, onto their, crashed onto their roof just four foot from where Andy stood. I remember actually when I was actually hit by a huge icicle off Chicago's Sears Tower one day. Um, but it, I think it would be even more traumatic if you get hit by a poopsicle or a peesicle from a huge height. Um, but you know what? The urine, uh, urine block, the peesicle, uh, could, could be very useful if you do have an ice box uh, at the beach for jellyfish stings. Uh, if you're scuba driving, you just rub the uh, peesicle onto the said jellyfish sting. Okay, so one of the stories that didn't make it into the Marks and Spencers uh, shoppers left divided over the awkward kiss in a festive advert. So some shoppers weren't impressed by Marks and Spencer's advert to sell their pajamas as dubbed the clip uncomfortable and jokingly asked if the male model had bad breath. Um, so the ad, which features a married model couple and due to COVID rules, see the pair share a cheeky snog in front of the children who jokingly cover their eyes, but they're not impressed by the kiss. One woman commented, awful advert. It looks like she's being kissed by a man who had the most horrendous halitosis. Um, it, it, did, it did actually remind me of, this, of the scene. So there's a very interesting piece in the James Bond movie, Her Majesty's Secret Service. Uh, did Diana Rigg deliberately eat garlic before her Bond scenes? 
um, and she had a, and the truth behind her feud with George Lazenby. Dane uh, Diana Rigg, who died at the age of 82 earlier in the year, might have been the only Bond girl to get 007 to the altar, but she did not get on well with her co-star George Lazenby. The late actor who played and starred in Her Majesty's Secret Service as Contessa uh, Teresa Di Vincenzo, uh, opposite Lazenby's spy, the characters got married, but the romance is short-lived when the character was shot after the wedding day. Absolutely fantastic film, by the way. One of the best Bond movies. Ever since the film came out, there have been reports of tensions between Rig and Lazenby on set, including a rumour that Rig deliberately ate lots of garlic before her love scenes with Lazenby in order to throw him off. According to Lazenby, this story was blown out of all proportion, he said. There was a, there was a press thing that blew up in Pinewood. We're having lunch just before the love scene, and there's a lot of press around, and they're invited that day. Diana Rigg was having lunch about four or five tables away and, and yelled quite loudly, I'm having garlic today, George. I hope you are too. And that's the absolute key, I think. Uh, if, you, if, you're, if you're snogging somebody and you've had garlic and they haven't, it could be a rather uncomfortable short-lived evening. Um, but yes, anyway, so uh, I don't think George had garlic, so he had to, uh, he had to suffer Diana's awful garlicky breath. So we've had a rather um, haphazard version of Keep Calm and Cauliflower Cheese. It's episode number 37. Um, for all of you fans out there, for all of you wanting and urging for more episodes of Keep Calm and Cauliflower Cheese, your um, oral pleasure, that's with an A, uh, will, uh, will, uh, will, you'll be satisfied tomorrow because we're having another edition of the Keep Calm and Cauliflower Cheese. So tomorrow's edition, we will have a um, historical Tinder competition. We may have a, a Butler Fireside ghost story. Um, and uh, I think we'll have another enigmatic English eccentric as well, plus lots of fun frolics along the way. Um, but anyway, so another very British problem Today has been a contender for the greyest day of all time. It's been fiercely grey, relentlessly grey, adamantly grey, rigidly grey, hilariously grey, patriotically grey, alarmingly grey, boringly grey, religiously grey, stupidly grey, deeply grey, grey. Thank you for listening to the podcast, and we're going to end with a rather lovely poem. So today's poem is 4th Thursday in November, Little Thanksgiving, Ode to Thanksgiving. Ever since I can remember on the fourth Thursday of November, long before the crack of dawn, early on that frosty morn, flurries and leaves and wispy winds as our mother's long day begins, placing pumpkins beside the front door, settling the table for twenty or more. Into her cosy kitchen she goes, creating tradition as she only knows. A muffled clanging in our heads as we still slumber in our beds, then as if by some magical spell, spicy, sweet scants and scents begin to dispel. Aromas in the atmosphere rise, waking our senses and opening our eyes. Cinnamon, saffron, nutmeg and sage, stuffing the turkey, she's setting the stage. On the stovetop simmering away, delicious side dishes are at play. Deep dish apple and pumpkin pie rest on the windowsill nearby. Family and friends begin to arrive, some a bit tired from the drive. Children running in and out, happy laughter all about. The smell of turkey sweeping the air, Thanksgiving time is finally here. Out of the oven, all golden brown, her turkey is our table crown. Dad, with his big wide grin, slices a turkey nice and thin. 
smiling with her dimples so sweet she knows thanksgiving is complete. Now we give thanks to the Lord above for this bountiful blessing made with love. Many Novembers have come and gone, we try to carry the memories on. But one thing we cannot replace is Mum's sweet, smiling, dimpled face. So all of you out there who may be having a slightly lonely Thanksgiving, please uh, please indulge in the podcast. Um, we're going to be uh, back again tomorrow to record another one. I know, uh, I know anything like radio, music, TV gets people through these lonely times. And I'm very happy to, uh, to add to the, uh, to the pleasure and give you a little bit of comfort if you're, if you're alone over the holidays. Anyway, all the best. I will be back tomorrow. Uh, ciao for now.